we're going to look at something again today that most of you probably already know about, at least something about it, but I think I'll be able to show you something today that maybe you hadn't thought of. We're going to Matthew chapter 13, so you might all turn there to start with. This is about the seed and the sower, but we're not going to look at the parable. We're going to look at the Jesus' explanation of what the parable means because when he got through teaching the parable of the seed and sower, that was the first time he had ever preached with a parable. And his disciples asked him, why are you preaching in the parable? Why are you preaching like that? And he said, because there are some that are supposed to know and some that are not supposed to know. And I preach like that so those that are supposed to know will understand and those that are not supposed to know will not understand and they won't get it. We're going to see that spelled out today. We're going to see some other things spelled out today. So pay attention as we give you the words of Jesus and the things that he said that might make you look back on what you believe maybe some other way for a long time. We've been discussing our enemy and his system, Satan, and his representatives, the demons. Have you ever thought about the life that you live today is living in a world on an earth that Satan owns? The Bible says that God created so many angels and demons that you can't count them all. But we know at least there are 33 million. We know that amount. Have you ever thought about the life that you live, the blessed life? We've been talking this morning before church started, some of us, about the, the blessings we live in. Have you ever thought about, with, with all the problems, because he said in this world you shall have tribulation, but take cheer, I've overcome the world. That's supposed to be us. We're not supposed to be woe is me folks. We're not. We're not supposed to look for the worst, we're supposed to look for the best. But have you ever thought about the way you live a blessed life in a world that is owned by Satan, that is full of 33 million or more demons that have got strict orders to do anything they can to keep God from being glorified? God's in the people business, so that means that whatever they do has got to be us. Because the only way God can be glorified is through our efforts. And so Satan's whole realm, this whole spiritual realm of evil, is to attempt to bring discredit to God through what we do or what we blame him for doing or how bad we live. The enemy knows how good we're supposed to have it. They do. 
And they expect us to try to show other folks that too. That's the reason they're so hard after us. Because they're around trying to defeat every single effort that God makes with us to show what a powerful God he is. So I put this in this morning about daylight and I underlined it. And I want to encourage you. I see no need for anybody that is born again to ever take a lesson on how to explain to somebody else how to be born again. If you've ever been to Atlanta, you can tell somebody what you saw when you were there and they get an idea of what it is. But you've got to be born again to do it. So the thing I'm encouraging you to do, and I think I figured out some of the thing God wants, and he doesn't always explain to me why he tells me to do this or that or the other, or say this or say that. But God wants glory. He always has and he always will. And I think he's trying to show you folks who are born again believers just who you are and what power you have and what you're able to do with him. So here's the thing I'd like for you to understand. Please tell people who do not know Jesus who Jesus is. Tell it your way. You don't, there is no proper way to do that. You tell what you have experienced in your voice. If I can share Jesus with somebody with a hillbilly accent I got, everybody's okay. I'm going to be telling you, the folks that are listening to you that don't know Jesus yet are going to be watching your eyes. They're going to be staring at you pretty hard. So what they're trying to find, is he trying to sell me something, or is she trying to sell me something, or is this real? And they tell that by looking at your face. And you've got to convince them that what you're talking about is a real thing. So we're looking this morning at the seed and the sower. It was like verses a couple of weeks ago. It was in three books. God thought enough of this parable to put it three times, one right behind the other. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all saw a little something different. Well, what I've done, I've chosen Matthew to give you the story out of, but I'm going to add whatever they put in the story that wasn't in Matthew as we get to it. Because there's some interesting things being commented about Luke and Mark that Matthew didn't notice or didn't choose to say one or the other. But when Jesus explains this parable that he's just taught, he explains it in four categories. Now the seed and the sower is the word of God and the person who spreads it to the other people. So he's used an analogy here of a person going out and throwing seed on the ground as a person telling other people what this whole thing of salvation is about. And he's talking about the different kind of ground it falls on. The different kinds of ground is the different kind of people that hear it. 
And so that's the whole idea of the parable. To explain a Bible truth in terms that the average person walking the street every day can understand. Something that they know about. And they knew about planting seed. Before we start into the different categories of people that'll hear the word, have you ever thought about how few of us actually go around witnessing to other people every day? All I ask, look at your own self. You know how many you do. You know how many probably that you had something to do with their salvation. And I imagine if there was a way to calculate it, which there's not, that it would probably be a pretty low percentage of the people who claim to know God today. Some talk it all the time. Some hardly ever, you hardly ever hear it out of it. And that's the reason I say, you do it like you need to do it. Because I'm going to tell you this, the person that God has picked out for you to share your Jesus with might not have anybody else. If you don't tell him, he might not ever know it. I've been in that situation too, and I don't like to be there. But the thing I want to tell you about this is this. When he got through with the parable, the disciples, those guys that's been with him almost three years, Every day, ask him, what does it mean? And over in Luke, no, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 2, or chapter 4 and verse 2, if you don't know after hearing this parable, how are you going to be able to explain all the other parables I'm telling you? It's what Jesus told his disciples. If you can't explain, and they didn't know what it meant. Now understand, at this time, they weren't saved folk. But they didn't know what he was talking about. The, the, the people in the, in, the, in, the, in the congregation, see, he had, he had been preaching, been in the house, he came out of the house, went out to the seashore, and was standing on the seashore, and there were so many people came up, he couldn't get to where all of them could hear him. So there was a boat, they pulled a boat over there and he went out and got in the boat and got up on the edge of the boat so they could hear him speak. And that's where he is now. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the seed and the sower. And now he's explaining what it meant. Now this is category one. This is the kind of ground that some of God's word is going to fall in. That's what he said. When you pass it on, the ground is the person who hears it. When anyone, verse 19, heareth the word of the kingdom and understand it not, they don't get it. Then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. 
This is which received seed by the wayside. This is a group of people, he said, that the seed was thrown by the way, by the wayside. And they didn't get it. And while they're wondering about it, trying to figure it out, Satan comes and snatches it away from them. Now, I don't know what the figure is. There's not a, a figure over here to the side that says how long a mile is, you know, like on a map. So I don't know how many folks he's talking about, but he gives four times, four kinds of people that hear it. And this is one four that Satan snatches the message of Jesus Christ away from before they understand it. This is a fourth of them. Now, does that, does that reconcile itself with what actually goes on? I don't know. Jesus is the one that's talking. If anybody knew, he'd know. So you let the Holy Spirit decide that for you. But a fourth of the people that are witnessed to have it taken away from them by Satan. A fourth. That's 25%. That's a pretty big bunch that Satan, is our enemy, is getting right off the top. They never get indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They lose it. It says in in Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke verse 12, lest they should believe and be saved. Now he's talking about the real stuff here. He's talking about there wasn't anything wrong with the message. The seed was good seed. It fell by the wayside. And Satan snatches it away from one-fourth of the people that hear it so they can't believe and be saved. That's the purpose of the whole thing. So let's write him down. So far, we're not doing too good. Verse 20. But he that receiveth the seed in stony places, where there's a lot of rocks, the same as he that heareth the word, and for a while with joy he receives it. This is witness number two. It says he heard it, he understood it, and he accepted it. Yet hath he not root in him, in himself, but endureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now here's patient number two. He got the word, he received it, he understand it, and he kept it. And for a while it says he kept it. But then he's offended. That word is not used in Scripture like we use it today. It's not that somebody gets aggravated with me when he's offended by me, gets aggravated with me because of what I said or what I did or whatever. That's not the way it's used. In those days, to offend someone, you did something to trip him up on his way to Jesus. 
That's what it means. So this guy right here, for a while he took it, he believed it, he kept it, and somebody tripped him up on the way to Jesus, so he didn't wind up there. It says in Luke 13, I'm going to turn over there and read this to you because it challenges some of the things that I, I was taught. But chapter 8 in Luke and verse 13, this talking about them on the rock. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. He received it. And for a while it says he kept it. And these have no root. The word's not going not to build a root in him. Which for a while they believe. And hear that. Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. Which for a while they believe. I was reminded of once saved, always saved. For a while they believe. And in time of temptation, they fall away. That word fall away is defined self-departing. When the trouble came and the trials came, they pulled themselves out of it. So they're not there either. We've lost half of them. Back to Matthew. Satan causes this one to stumble. Now it doesn't produce fruit. Is this man saved? When you approach him, it depends on what part of this phase you, you met him at. At one part, you get the idea he was. You come a little bit later, you find out he wasn't. I asked a man one time, 30 years ago, you say that your ministries that has your name has been responsible for saving 2,800 people that you know of, or 28,000 people, I'm sorry. That's a lot of people. Were all of them saved that you thought were saved? He said, nope. <laughs> I came back later and I found out that some of them weren't. Looked like to start with they were, but when it all come to shaking down, they all weren't. So now, look at Matthew 22. This is the third set of folks that the word was shared with. We've got the people on the byways and highways and whatever. 
and we've had people on the rocky ground. Now number three, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, he's heard it, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now understand what it says. He received the word. As far as I understand, that's born again. But then comes deceitfulness of riches. He looks at the world and decides he wants to be rich. And he spends all his time trying to be rich, not knowing that riches are not what counts. And he doesn't have any time to spend for the Lord. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I mean, he gets involved with the world. He just got no time, maybe other than to come to church once a week. But it says that he becomes unfruitful. He's not doing what God wants him to do. He's not producing any fruit. But the cares of the world, that's involvement, involving our time with the world, and getting concerned about the world, getting all upset because of the way the world's going, staying in a, a little bit of a turmoil all the time, and the deceitfulness of riches going after the dollar instead of God. And Mark adds another thing in verse 19, the lust of other things. All of it, Mark says, wasn't put in this thing. There's the lust of other things too. Things that you want that God thinks you'd be better off not having. Things choke the word, and he's unfruitful. Saved? Yes, I think he is. I think we're going. I think we can mark this one up on the wind side, and I'll show you why. Satan uses the world to choke the word. The world becomes more important to this person than serving God. That puts him in the category of people who are involved in idolatry because something else has become their most important thing than God. And that's idolatry. Putting something ahead of God in your life. And you know, it's the interesting thing. Every place in the New Testament where idolatry is mentioned, it's also coupled with another word. Everywhere. And that's covetousness. Idolatry is wanting another God, if you will, spending more time with something else other than the Lord. And wanting something more than you ought to want it. That's what makes you do that. So you're guilty of covet covetousness too. 
And then there's something else in, Matthew, in James chapter 4 and verse 3. You don't have to turn there. You remember? He calls us who spends more time in idolatrous situations where we love something a little more than God. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. And that's the reason I believe the man saved. A man cannot be accused honestly of being an adulterer or a woman an adulteress unless they're married to somebody. That's the only way you can sin that sin. You've got to go against your husband or you've got to go against your wife. Now, if James, the brother of Jesus, called us adulteresses and adulterers, we're involved in adultery. That means we're running around on the one we're married to and the church is married to Jesus Christ. Right? So that's the reason I say he's saved. Because he's already married to Jesus Christ. He accepted it. And he is part of the bride of Christ even though he's not doing anything Christ wants him to do. Like I say, he might just be going to church on Sunday morning. That's all. So we got three out of four that are not producing. Two out of four, I don't believe are saved. One, I believe, is. And then we've got the good side. We got number four. We got the real win, and everybody knows it. Verse 23 is the fourth category. But he that receives seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. Two things that was required. He heard it and he understanded it. Which also beareth fruit. He went ahead and was obedient to God. He did what God told him to do. He's out there working for Jesus and bringing forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some 30. You remember the parable of the talent? The guy that brought back five had the same well done, thy good and faithful servant, as the guy that brought back three. One of them got in and buried his in the ground. He didn't come back with any more, and he didn't get anything. Had it taken away from him. So this is what he's talking about. Now I want to show you the consistency of the word. I mean, I've never looked at the sower and the seed, quite like that. But when you look at it in terms of what we've been talking about, this is the enemy, folks. This is what they are doing to what we're trying to do. And apparently they're pretty successful at it. In Luke 15, it says they or which in an honest and a good heart keep the word. They didn't throw it out and they didn't have it taken away from them. Bring forth the fruit with patience, he puts in there. And it had several verses that it pointed you to to show what he was talking about, why he put patience there. One of them said, that when we see that we've done what God asks us to do, 
we've got to wait with patience to see the seed come up. Paul can tell you if nobody else in this room can. It takes a while to see that seed break in the ground. You see those little cracks where it's rained and that soil is kind of, kind of solid and you begin to see that little crack before you see the green. But you have to wait on it. You don't know until it's all had a chance to come up what kind of crop you got. And that's the reason I think God says when you've done what you thought you were supposed to do for Jesus Christ, stand there and wait on it and watch it and see what's going to happen. Are they going to turn for Jesus or are they going to be one of these other three? Because if, you don't, if they're not fruitful, you may not be able to tell whether they actually had it or not. And then it says in 1 John and all back there with some of those false teachers and false Christians, they'll tell you they are when they're not. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. Now let me tell you something, folks. And I'm telling you this honest. This is not my business how many of you folks show up. It's not my business what you do with what I say that God told me to say to you. That's God's business. You don't see me out trying to fill this church from pew to pew with people. I just don't do that. I believe that's God's job. He gives me what to say, and I try my best to give it to you just like he said it. And what you do with it, that's your business. Once I step down from here and I'm through and I say amen, it's between you and the Lord then. And I don't feel like I'm supposed to be meddling in your business, coming and remind you, oh, you're not doing what I told you last week? No, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to tell you what God says. And then you and the Holy Spirit get together and do whatever y'all are going to do. Because I can't judge you either way. I can't give you the rewards God can give you. I just have to throw it out there. But how many does it matter that you are fruitful with? How many folks you say, how many folks you witness to that you know became a Christian because of your witness? It don't matter. Do I have an idea? Yeah, I've got an idea of mine. But it don't matter. That's God's business. He will settle it with the ones that heard it as to what they're going to believe and what they're not going to believe. So it doesn't matter to me as long as I do what I'm supposed to do. Now here's a couple of three things about that system of Satan that works on you. Demon possession is one of the things that we've dealt with. And only the unsaved can have demon possession. God cannot get in a man's mind and control his actions and his behavior unless he's unsaved. He cannot get in the mind of a Christian and make a Christian do anything. It's like the old man in Tuskegee told me to coon hunting. He believed in haints, he believed in spirits, but there wasn't no point in getting worried about them because they couldn't do nothing until you know how. I says, do you see them, Will? Oh, yes, sir, coon hunting, I see them all the time. I just walk, what do you do? I just walk right on through them. They just like smoke. You can just walk right on through them. 
Now that's the attitude we're supposed to have about this. When Satan comes up and we recognize him and his demons are after us, we're supposed to stand. And if you ever turn around with Roman armor on, you don't have any, any armor on because all of it's in the front. You can't run in God's army. You turn around, they can cut you anywhere they want you to because all the armor's on the front. The only way you can do is what he says over and over, 6th chapter of Ephesians, is stand. Stand and face the devil and he'll flee because he's a coward. The only time he stands is when you run and you're not supposed to do that. Demon oppression, not possession, but oppression is what most of us as Christians get. And it manifests in religious self-denial. A lot of times, and this is something we've talked about in the past too that God showed me out of this. Sometimes when demons start worrying believers, they start trying to see how much good they can do and how much bad they can leave alone. And they won't touch this and they won't touch that and they're so strict you get the idea pretty quick that they're trying to show you how holy they are by what they don't do and they're tremendously judgmental of you because you're doing it. That's one of the manifestations of a demon getting after somebody and oppressing them. You're too strict on yourself. The sign of demon influence in religion is departure from the faith. Departure from the faith. You leave the church. And I'm speaking seriously here. I'm not talking about that building down there with six doors. I'm talking about the church is inside of you. You leave it. The body of revealed truth is what's in the Bible. You quit believing the Bible and you start turning your Bible on other people. Oh, you can't believe that. Well, you know, I thought he was living at the foot of the cross. Well, he's not now. And demons come at you from the mental point. That's where they, 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 they involve you in your mind. Your mind is what causes you to say what you say and to behave like you're behaving. And so their point of contact is from mental to mental, mind to mind. And you can stand and not do what the temptation says or you can give in and do it, just like we've seen these folks here. Satan, if you'll notice, who causes tribulation? Satan. Who causes disturbances in your life? Satan. Who chokes the word? Satan. So in three of these people, his work has been successful. He got two out of salvation and one of them is not doing anything for the Lord anyhow. So I ask you to start with, how many of you realize how hard it is to live a blessed life 
when Satan is as powerful as he is. And that to say this, do you have any idea how much God does for you every single day? Do you see what battles he's fighting for us? Because see, he came and snatched salvation out of that man's heart that didn't understand it before he got a chance to be saved. Now, I don't understand this. I'll be the first one to say it. But God allowed him to do that. So I've got to believe there was something in that man that heard the word that's a problem. Or God, God wouldn't let that happen. But I'm telling you, it's a God thing. It's not down here. We just do what we do. We witness, we explain the plan of salvation to everybody we come in contact with. But don't be surprised if the same things happen to some of those as happened to these. Because it does. Because Jesus said it does. Number four, overcame Satan. In 1 John chapter 5, it talks about you who have overcome Satan. So I know that some folks can overcome Satan. Satan will just get on out of their life and leave them alone because he can't get nowhere. That is what meant by overcoming Satan. He has no influence on you anymore. So he goes somewhere where he does. He likes to win too. And I saw in some, maybe you remember the girl that had the spirit of divination. Remember her? She was making money for two or three guys by telling people their fortunes. She's a spirit. She's a demon. And she had the power to look into the future for people. And there's people that do that today. They can do it. They're not fooling anybody. They can tell you exactly what's going to happen. But they get their power from Satan. They don't get it from God. They're serving their host instead of being nasty to their host like so many we've seen. This one serves his host by making him a prophet using their particular form of devilment to help the people out and make them money. So it comes down to this. You don't know who's going to and who's not going to. You don't know who's standing by the side of the road or in a pile of rocks, according to Jesus. You just tell him about Jesus. And then you let the Holy Spirit work in his heart and see where he's going to be. Because this is the story Jesus says is going to happen. Some of it's already happened. But he's telling us what's going to happen in the future too. And it may even happen to you. But we can't let that deter us because we don't know who's going to accept and who's not. So we've got to talk to everybody. Anytime God moves you to say a word to a person, don't walk off without saying a word, please. You got to say something or it'll be charged to your account. I believe that. So this is a situation we've got. And it's making Satan look bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. But it's just true. That's the way he is. 
whether we see him that way or not. That's the problem. When 70% of the people in the United States don't even believe there's a Satan, I say he's doing a pretty good job. Because you know I believe that he, according to the third chapter of Genesis, was the most subtle of creatures that God ever created. He's sneakier than anybody else God has ever created. And what he wants to do is destroy God's work without ever letting anybody know he had anything to do with it. So I feel like in this situation, Jesus has given us a pretty clear picture of what all of us face, not only as an individual, but as a group too. But that's the power that he has. And let me say this, he can't do it to you and me without God's permission. You go back and look at the book of Job. He had to ask God's permission to bother any Christian, any person that was a godly person. So we got oppression. It bothers us. It causes us to get upset if we don't give him scripture and make him run. But he can be handled, and you can overcome Satan and his work. Because John said so in 1 John chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your instruction. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that causes us to understand and believe. Lord, teach us the realness of the life that we live in and what's going on in the spiritual world where we can't see. I thank you for allowing me to have as good a life as I have, knowing that all this is going on. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.